shaking. Yes, I used to deal with this reoccurring thought in my mind. And this reoccurring thought was in the form of a phrase. And the phrase went like this, I don't know. And so how it would play out in my mind was, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what to do. And I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so this is something that would just replay in my mind. It was like my auto, automatic answer for things that were going on in my life, especially when I was facing a difficult situation. This was a thought that would want to drive my feelings and my emotions. And this was a thought that would just bring me into a place of depression because this was the overriding thought. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Well, then I found out through the Word of God that God had a plan for my life and that He was for me and that He was with me and that I wasn't just a whim of my emotions, that I wasn't just a victim to my circumstances. So I I had to learn how to take my thought captive, to take this thought captive, to catch it, to catch it. Whenever it would come up, I would have to catch it. And I would begin to say, whenever this thought would arise, I would begin to tell myself, you know what? I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. But God does know. And God has a plan for me. And even though I don't know, He does know. And He is working all things out for my good. And I had to take that thought captive. I had to say, God is working for my future. And Jesus taught this very same principle. He taught this powerful principle. And it's found in Mark 11, 22 through 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, and the mountain stands for whatever is standing in your way, whatever obstacle is in your way. May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. He teaches that if we believe... Meaning, if we have confidence and faith in God and then speak it out, it's powerful. If we keep on believing and we keep on speaking, then it's as good as done. The combination of our mind's thoughts and our thoughts come from our beliefs, which come from our heart, That combination of our thoughts with our tongue's confession will bring results. It will bring results. This is what Jesus taught. But do you know that this also, this principle also works in the reverse? 
it works in the reverse. It works in the opposite. Our negative thoughts and lack of faith combined with matching professions from our mouths will also produce results. Results that we don't want, like fear and anxiety and despair. Like if we're consumed in our mind with the chupacabra, then we will be scared to go out at night, right? We don't, as soon as it gets dark, we're not going to want to go outside. But seriously, did you know that this principle has even been proven neuroscientifically? Dr. Carolyn Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, says this, Scientists are proving that the relationship between what you think and how you understand yourself, your beliefs, dreams, hopes, and thoughts, has a huge impact on how your brain works. Research shows that 75% to 95% of all mental, physical, and behavioral illnesses come from one's thought life. This staggering, eye-opening statistic means only 2 to 25% of mental and physical illnesses come from the environment and genes. Wow. Wow. What we think even affects our health. What we believe and what we speak will become our reality. It's so big that we understand this. That's why the truth of God's word is imperative for us. It's important that we put on his word every day, that we open up the word of God so that it gets into our minds, it gets into our soul, it gets into the, our very, the fiber of our being. And then because it's inside of us, it will come out of us through our mouths and we will begin to speak what is right. We will begin to speak what is beneficial to our lives. This is so important to understand. What is in our minds will be in our mouths. So today, I want to clear up a half-truth. How many have heard the Christian cliche that God won't give you more than you can handle? God won't give me more than I can handle. Anybody ever heard that before? Maybe you've used that. I know I have. God won't give me more than I can handle. But did you know that it is not biblical? Nowhere in the Bible does it say God will not give us more than we can handle. It is a mistruth. And the passage in the Bible that seems to trigger this belief or this misstatement comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. It says this, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. 
When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. These verses and the context from the passage from which it is taken are talking about temptation. We, like every other Christian, will face temptation. Temptations come from an inner weakness inside of us that the devil loves to capitalize on. The word for tempted in this passage means this. Any outside source that appeals to a weakness in our flesh. It's the Greek word parosmos. Any weakness in my flesh that means, that means a flaw or an appetite that I have that is in, that is in the inside of me which gets prompted or triggered by something on the outside of me, which means that temptations are personalized. What is a temptation for me may not be a temptation for you. God does not tempt anyone, nor is he ever tempted. We know this from James 1, 13 and 14. The enemy appeals to our sinful nature through our thoughts and through our emotions. But as the Word of God says, God is faithful. He will never leave us at an unfair advantage of not being able to resist the temptation. He will provide a way of escape. And the word in the verse for escape is a compound word and it comes from two words one is out and the other is to walk and so when you put those two words together it means to walk out of a trap or a place that isn't good for you God will be faithful to provide a way out, but we have to be faithful to our part, to walk out, to walk away from, or to get out. I love the story that Pastor often tells. There was a guy that was trying to lose weight. His co-workers noticed that he was doing really good and was on track. But then one morning, he came into the office with two dozen of donuts. His co-workers were surprised and asked him why he got the donuts if he's trying to diet. And he answered, well, as I came to the corner where the donut shop was, I told God if he wanted me to buy some donuts, to have an opening right in the front of the donut shop. And guess what, guys? On the eighth time around the donut shop, there was a parking spot right in the front. For every temptation, there is an exit plan. For every scheme of the devil, there is a way out. But will we take it? We can't negotiate with sin. We can't make a deal with the devil. We can't allow our pride to fool us into thinking that we can handle temptation or that this time it will be different. 
We have to, when we're faced with temptation, to hightail it out of there. So what does this mean practically? It means that if you're being tempted to angrily explode, walk out before it happens. If you're being tempted to get your feelings hurt, get, get out and go somewhere else before the offense happens. If you know you're being tempted to slip into a state of laziness, get up and get busy. If you know you're being tempted to sexually sin, then get out of that situation immediately. If you know you're being tempted to compulsively buy online or look at something you shouldn't, swipe off. If you know you're being tempted to do anything wrong, it's time for you to flee the temptation. But sometimes we don't want to do that. We want to stay in the midst of the temptation and say, you know what, I can, I can do this. I can handle this. I know I can work this or I can work that out. No, the Bible teaches us when it comes to temptation, when it comes to dealing with the flesh, we don't sit there and negotiate a deal. No, we have to get out of that situation immediately. We have to short circuit the thought that comes from the enemy. We have to say, no, in Jesus' name, I refuse that thought. I'm not going to go along with that. I know God's will for my life, and this is not it, and I'm not going to go along with it. We have to cut off the temptation right when it begins. You know, our feet work in both directions, right? If we can get into some place, we can definitely get out. And God will give us a way out. He will give us an outbreak for temptation every single time. But on the other hand, and I want you to hear this, God won't always give us a way out of a trial. In fact, God will give me more than I can handle. Our good God will allow trials in our lives because he knows that above anything else and everything else, trials will cause us to depend on him. Trials will stretch us to grow, right? Do I have a witness? Trials will work in our lives a godliness that we can't get any other way. Think about the last time you were in a difficult problem. Did, it, did you tend to seek God and pray more during that problem? Did you grow closer to God through the situation? God will give us more than we can handle to strengthen us spiritually. And it's important that we understand this, that God will give us more than we can handle because if we don't, we will get a faulty idea of Christian living. We will believe that we're supposed to be perfect people with perfect lives, that we're supposed to have it all together 
all of the time. This creates a self-dependent attitude. If we think God will not give me more than I can handle, well then I better handle it. We will be hard on ourselves and hard on others. And we will have a super focus on image. Jesus teaches in Matthew 6:32 that we are not to worry about the things that this world worries about. That those things are temporal and we are to worry we are not to worry about those things. In fact, in 1 John 2:16 and 17 in the Passion Translation, it says this, for all the world can offer us the gratification of our flesh, the allurement of thing, the things of the world, the obsession with status and importance. None of these things come from the Father, but from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away. But those who live to do the will of God will live forever. What the world system is caught up with, it's caught up with the things that we can see, the temporal things, the things that are right in front of us, what we can attain and what we can gain. This is why the people of the world are so preoccupied with image, with achievement, with success. And this explains why we are so enamored with social media. Social media to a certain extent, can really feed the ego. We like that we can have a controlled outcome online. We can post and project a perfect life, a perfect relationship, perfect kids, our perfect image, you know, the one that took 10 takes to get, right? We are obsessed with the perfectness. This is what the world has been so obsessed with. We have to look perfect. We have to do perfect. We have to have the perfect job. We have to have the perfect relationship. We have to have the perfect this and that. There is such an obsession on looking good on the outside. A few years back, Pastor and I were enjoying a few days in Vegas. And we like to go. We enjoy the food and the shows. We were, one night, we were eating at a Buco di Beppe, Beppo restaurant, an Italian restaurant. When the photographer came around, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, a photographer came around and said, would you like a couple's picture? We said that we would. She took the pic, and after the meal, she returned with the portrait that we had purchased. When I looked at the picture, I couldn't believe the retouch job they did on my nose. My nose was longer and straighter than it ever had been. I didn't even look like myself. Well, Pastor didn't mind because, oddly enough, I looked like Celine Dion, his favorite singer, okay? So he didn't mind. 
So I guess I was the Mexican Celine Dion. <laughs> we are not perfect people. We cannot live our lives online. Real life cannot be photoshopped, filtered, or edited. We are trying so hard to look good on the outside in hopes that we can feel better on the inside. And we bought into the idea of the perfect image. The perfect image. Well, what happens when we can't live up to it? What happens when we feel all the pressure of having to have it all together all the time? When we don't measure up, we begin to feel worthless. We begin to feel Gosh, I don't measure up. Everybody else looks so good, but I'm struggling. Everybody else looks like they've got it all together. But man, if they only knew about me, I don't. I don't. I'm struggling week after week. I'm barely making it. I may look fine on the outside, but the inside is a whole different story. Did you know that Suicide is the second leading cause of death for for 15 to 24-year-olds. That saddens me. The second leading cause of death for our young people. In America, over 48,000 individuals will take their lives this very year. And more will attempt to. And a major contributor to this is depression. We know depression. We've lived with depression. In fact, in our inner circle, I bet you know someone in your family and your friends that are dealing with depression this very moment. Whether it's depression that comes seasonally or it's depression that comes weekly or daily. It's depression Like Abe was talking about, a spirit of heaviness that just comes over and begins to consume us, begins to take over our thought and colors our outlook of life. Depression is real. It's something that we are really dealing with in our nation and in our lives. But Jesus wants to give us authentic lives. He wants us to be people who no longer have to hide, no longer have to hide our issues, no longer have to hide our feelings and what we've been going through. He wants us not to be afraid to be vulnerable again, to trust somebody, to let somebody in on the inside of us. People who can openly and freely share their issues and pain with him and with others. I love what my friend, Pastor Jill Shankles, says. If you were hurt in the church, you can only be healed by the church. You can only be healed in the church and by the church. There are many people who've been offended 
They've been hurt by the church. They they are no longer here at church because they said, you know, somebody in the church offended me. So I'm no longer going to go to church. And they live in that way where they're away from God and away from the body of Christ. But Jesus came. He died for not only, he died for not only for us, but for his church. And he wants to be a people, us to be a people of community, of real authenticity, of real love. That we would bear one another's burdens. That we would be there for one another. That we would know each other, not just on a surface level, but really know each other. Where we can say, hey, if you need me, I'm there. If you're hurting, I will hear you. If you are lonely, come on, let's go get some coffee. Let's be together. Let's work through this together. Proverbs 17, 17 says this in the message translation. Friends love through all kinds of weather. And families stick together in all kinds of trouble. And I don't believe it's just talking about our natural families. Thank God for our natural families. But it's also talking about the family of God. It's also talking about the assembling of the saints. This is why Jesus said, "Don't." Paul writes, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. Come together, gather together so you can encourage each other because the day of evil approaches. We need each other. We need to build each other up. We need to strengthen each other. I need you and you need me. We are a family here. And Psalm 62 verse 8 in the Passion Translation says this, Trust only in God every moment. Tell Him all your troubles and pour out your heart longings to Him. Believe me when I tell you, He will help you. He will help you. As a son or daughter of God, we are not to get wrapped up in the world, what the world system values. Get connected to the real source. Live pure lives with Jesus and with others. So why is it important to understand that God will give me more than I can handle? If we don't, we will get a faulty view of Christ. We will have a faulty view of God. We will just grit and bear our trials. We will, with a half smile, say, I feel like I'm dying here, but God said he wouldn't give me more than I could handle, right? We will become bitter against God because we will feel like he's violated our trust. We will begin to withdraw from him because of our disappointment, not wanting to talk to him or pray to him because we are angry about the way things are turning out. God will often give us more than we can, he will give us more than we can handle because he has a sovereign purpose in mind, a purpose that goes beyond us. He's orchestrating something 
bigger. He's orchestrating a bigger outcome. And he sees, only he sees the big picture. A grand finale that we can't see at the moment. But he said he would be faithful to work it all out. He will be faithful to us to the end. And he promises that he will be with us every step of the way. For Pastor Levi Lesko and his family, September 8th is both a joyous and somber day. The day marks the birth date of his and wife Jeannie's second daughter, Lenya, who died suddenly in 2012. Tragedy struck the Lescos on December 20th, less than a week after 20 young lives were cut short in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. How on earth could you possibly plan a funeral for a kindergartner? There's no way I could do that, Levi remembers saying to himself. He would soon find out. What happened to Levi's daughter? The five-year-old died from a severe asthma attack, which occurred while the family were wrapping Christmas presents. By the time an ambulance arrived at the Lesko's Montana home, Lenya's heart had stopped beating and she passed away in her father's arms. It was the absolute most treacherous thing you could imagine, Levi recalled in a 2017 interview with Relevant magazine. He said, but he still delivered a Christmas Eve sermon four days later. Lenya is alive at this moment, more alive than she ever has been. He told the congregation at Fresh Life Church, she is on a distant shore with Christ. Levi and Jeannie, who have four other children together, daughters Alvia, Daisy and Clover, and son Lennox, relied on faith in the midst of their grief. It'll either smash you against the rocks, or you will stand on the rocks and be who God has called you to be, through the pain, the leader noted. We, we've not felt destroyed by it. We've felt deepened by it. We feel honored, privileged that God would allow us to suffer. We felt like he trusted us with this trial. And there was a sense from the beginning that God didn't grace us with the pain, but he graced us with the power to go through it. One thing that has helped Levi cope with the heartbreak was writing. His, this 38-year-old essays eventually turned into a memoir called Through the Eyes of a Lion, which is named for his late daughter. Lenya means lion in Russian. I was trying to be as open as possible so God can use the pain. It's not pretty, it's a mess, Levi said of the writing of the book, which was published in 2015. And he said this, hurting with hope still hurts. Hurting with hope still hurts. We go through the issues 
we go through the trials, we go through the emotions, and we feel it. Oh, but we are not left with a high, we're not left without a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who understands, who cares for us, and will be with us in the midst of everything that we go through. He is with us, and He is our help. Bad things are going to happen. Things that we do not have explanations for will happen. Unfair and unjust offenses will come our way. We will not always be exempt from tragedy. We live in a world where there is evil deeds, where there is a devil, where there are diseases. This is the reality of our world. And in these times, this is when Jesus' words mean the most. In John 16:33, Jesus says, I have told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, be courageous. Be cheerful, because I have overcome the world. And Jesus wasn't just making a mere statement. He was stating the utmost truth, that in it all and through it all, we can have his peace. His peace that surpasses all human understanding. His peace that isn't flighty. It doesn't lift off, but it remains on us. It contains us. It keeps us. It keeps us whole. It keeps us from breaking apart, from going crazy. That's the kind of peace that God gives us. His peace will be with us. And he wasn't just talking about a one-time victory, but a continuous and an abiding victory. He is saying, I have overcome the world. I am still overcoming the world. And I will always be in an overcoming position over the world. Praise God. Praise God that He has all victory and that His victory is our victory and we stand with Him in victory. He is our victory. So let's end with the truth. And here's the truth. God won't give you more than He can handle through you. God won't give you more than He can handle through you. Psalms 18.29 says this, and I love this verse. In your strength, I can crush an army. With God, I can scale any wall. God gives us supernatural power and ability to endure, to be strengthened, to go through, to make it over, to not quit, to keep on going, to say, I can go another day. I can fight another fight. I'm not giving up. He's my strength, and I will trust in Him. God has mighty plans for you. 
things that only his power can do, you will produce. Feats that you never thought you could accomplish, you will do. Adventures that you never dreamed of are headed your way. Exploits that you thought were impossibilities, you will see. Victories that are beyond sweet, you will taste. I got married, and a few months later, we were in Flagstaff, Arizona, from California to Flagstaff in our first pastorate. I was away from all my family, and I was trying to figure out how my own family, my own family, and now a church. I remember one day feeling overwhelmed by this, feeling the weight of everything that I was supposed to do. And so I went into the walk-in closet of our apartment, and I got down on my knees. I said to God, God, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't have the power to do the ministry. I don't have the ability to be a pastor's wife. I, I don't even have the spirituality to do it. God, I need you. But God, I'm willing for you to use me. I'm willing for you to take my life and do what only you can do. And in that moment, I felt a sense of his peace. I felt that he was taking my words and he was hearing them. And he was extending mercy and grace to me. He was empowering me. He was telling me, it's going to be okay. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. And some 30 years later, wouldn't you know, that God has been with me all throughout the journey. I've been privileged and had privy to be with people in some of their highest moments. And I've been with people in some of their lowest. I've heard and seen things that not everybody gets to see. Have I done this in my own strength, my own power? No. No. It's been God's power at work inside of me, building me up, helping me through my own life's journey. He's been my strength. And he's taken an unsure, problem-ridden young woman. And he's created out of me a giant slain, spirit-speaking woman of God who is able to overcome. I've been overcoming because of who Jesus is, who he means to me. And this is what he wants to do in every one of our lives. He wants to empower us. He wants to say, hey, me and you, we've got this. Me and you, we're able to make it. We are going to go through this. 
You are going to make it. I, I've come today to say to you, you're going to make it. You may be facing something very difficult, but I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, He is the way, the truth, and the life. So He's going to give you the way. He's going to direct your steps. He's going to give you life today. He's going to breathe into you. He's going to breathe into you His breath that gives you the power, the power to go on again. And He's going to allow His truth to saturate your mind so that those negative thoughts, those depressive thoughts are going to be put down and His truth is going to override that you're going to begin to believe. You're going to begin to trust Him. You're going to, you're going to begin to say, I believe the higher truth that God is for me. He's not against me. He's for me. If He did not spare His own Son, He will not... Give it. He will he not give me everything that I need. A.W. Tozer said this. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. So this morning, can you imagine CWC as a place of more authenticity, a more connection, a place where it's a safe place for people to come, to be real, and to say, hey, I'm a real person who has real issues, and be able to share and be authentic and real can you imagine a place where we believe and speak the truth of the word of God first to ourselves and then to others can you imagine that we can live out the truth of God that says that God won't give us more than he can handle through him I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Because I know the God that we serve. He's a God of miracles. He's a God who is not just moving. He's on the move. He is here in this place to work out miracles. To work out signs and wonders. Things that would blow our minds. It was like, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But then after the trial, God, I can't believe what you've done. I can't believe how you helped me through. I can't believe the transformation, the working of your power. Oh, God, that was only you. That was only you. We can testify to his goodness in the midst of everything that we go through. Bow your heads this morning. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. You're so good. And you are here. And you've been working. You've been working. You've been, you've been Lord, touching hearts and minds. You've been having your way, Lord, in us.
from the beginning, Lord, when we were singing the songs of how you will bring life. You will bring life to the dead bones. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord Jesus. That your power, Lord, is beyond us. That we can make it through the trial. We can make it through the trouble. We can make it through the hurts and through the disappointments. Because you are with us. You said, I will never, never, never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you. Jesus, I just sense that you're just saying to us this morning. You're saying to us, child, hold my hand. Hold my hand. I will walk you through this. I will go before you. I will come behind you. I will surround you with my goodness. I will surround you with my help. You are mine. You're in my hand. Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise that, Lord, though we are not strong enough, you are the stronger one. The stronger one has come. The one who has overcome all things. He's here in this very room. So this morning, I'm going to invite you up. If you want his presence to saturate your soul with his very strength, If you've been dealing with depression, if you've been dealing with suicidal thoughts, if you've been contending with the spirit of death that says you're not going to make it, you're not going to live through this, you're not going to see another day, I bind that up in the name of Jesus. I silence it in the name of Jesus. And I declare freedom, liberty, deliverance in this place. Oh, Jesus, have your way. Have your way in this place. Come on, I welcome you this morning. I welcome you this morning to draw on the living water of Jesus. Come on.